Hi, I'm Rachel Monteleone and welcome to Kittypedia, the podcast. I'm not an expert. However, I do speak with them with the view of providing you with expert information and advice to help you be the best parent that you can be. Together, let's give children the life they deserve and a positive future. Hello and welcome. Now, if you're a parent with a child who is a fussy eater and you could do with some helpful tips and advice, then you're in the right place. Today, we speak with our special guest, Marie-France Laval, dietitian, nutritionist, home economist and counsellor, originally from France. She's also the CEO of Fussy Eater Solutions, where she offers a range of in in-home and online programs to support fussy eaters and their families. And today, Marie France will be sharing her expert advice how to best manage fussy eaters. Welcome back. How are you? Very good. How are you, Rachel? It's good to see you. Yes, and very exciting to be speaking with you again. And no doubt, I know that you've been doing this for 15 plus years, which is a long time. So no doubt in all of these years, you would have experienced, I guess, countless different scenarios where families' lives have been and are affected by children's fussy eating habits. So I'd just love to know from your perspective, with all your wisdom and all your knowledge and experience, now, generally, how do you find um, families' lives are affected? So I was going to say, Rachel, you cannot do my work if you do not have empathy for the families that you meet, Yeah, um, no for the kids, of course, but for the moms and dads out there who really struggle with feeding their kids, it's extremely stressful and they'll rate it really high. Um, it's extreme. They feel extremely anxious often. So these feelings are really difficult to manage on a day-to-day basis. You have to be aware of them, but that's not sufficient. And so there are particular areas which I talked about in the article. It was triggered by a mum that I met who told me that she was having panic attacks at the thought of feeding her child. So that's when I thought I would write the article. So there are several areas that we are going to explore, I hope. Um, And it's a matter of educating parents but also of being able to say, you know what, perhaps you could try this or perhaps you could seek further help. It's incredible to think that parents are having panic attacks when thinking about feeding their children. And when you think about how many meals we have each day and for how many years, of course, that we're feeding our children, this can't be good for parents' stress levels then, hey? No, absolutely not. So with that then, what do you suggest parents do, I guess, um, for their own self-confidence in that respect in scenarios like this then? So I think when they really feel affected by what is happening at home, it's not just a matter of trying to sort out their child and his or her eating. It's about being able to dig into these feelings and examining them and sometimes, you know, seeking help from a psychologist or a counsellor, for example, Um, But I also recommend, and I've started to integrate um, the use of apps in my day-to-day work. So when I know that parents really are struggling with these issues, I may recommend they actually write down what the mood is that they're feeling before a meal or after a meal. Um, Because what we know about moods is that moods can change. So you may be feeling super happy at one moment in the day and then extremely down at another time. And often you will not know what the trigger is. 
Um, there are apps like uh, one that I recommend, which is called uh, Calm, which helps you record your moods. And so once you start doing that, you can um, understand better your triggers, but also start doing meditation around this particular moment. Sometimes a five minutes will give you a, enough of a possibility to relax so that you can tackle the meal. Yes, I think all mental health issues like this really do matter. So making um, this uh, an opportunity for the parents to look, look after themselves as equally as the children uh, is incredibly important. So thanks for those tips. And, um, well, and in this is a perfect segue now because we've published your article, which has all this information and these great links through all your um, sort of tips and advice. Now, the article that we published is titled My Fussy Eater Reduces Me to Tears. Now, for someone who hasn't read your article yet, can you please tell us what it's about and, of course, just what inspired you to write it? Right. So as I was saying, you want parents to be able to analyse their feelings and go and seek help. Mm -hmm. um, but I also try to educate parents on a few of the issues that they often mention to me. So, for instance, one that always comes back is um, that parents are concerned about their child's growth. Um, and so... There are several groups in this particular category where there are parents who will have concerns about growth because their child has been unwell and they are usually going to be surrounded by a team who will help them through these difficult um, starts with feeding their child. Um, there are parents who are going to be just concerned because they have anxiety about the amounts that their child is, um, of food that their child is ingesting. But for a professional, it may not be uh, a concern at all because what the, cons the professionals are going to be doing, they're going to look at the growth charts and they're going to look for a regular growth. So your child could be in the lowest percentiles and be extremely happy and healthy, although a lot of parents think that if their child is in, not in the high percentiles or is in the middle, perhaps, of the range, they start to get concerned. So they get a bit confused. It's not about being at the top of the charts in terms of size. Mm -hmm. um, that, that is a, a guarantee that your child is growing well. It's having regular growth. Um, and then in that subcategory, there are parents who start really measuring the growth of their child obsessively. Like I had a, a mom who was measuring her child every day, writing down everything that her child was uh, eating, um, then she would go to the maternal health nurse um, and get her child measures, measured, which would be the place normally. But then she would go to other places and do it. So she never got an accurate uh, weight report and because it was never the same scale being used. So that created a lot of anxiety. So if you're at that level, you definitely need to start seeking some help. Yes. So that was the first point, the, the, the child's growth, yeah. And so in the article, you provide some, some um, suggestions to help just reframe some of the common ailments that parents um, experience. Um, and, you know, with with this, as you just mentioned, parents are concerned with their child's growth. That's one of the, the first ones you do mention. Another one you mentioned also is about parents being concerned about nutrition. Now, I'd love to know from your uh, perspective, is this a loaded topic? And if, if so, why? <laughs> It is a loaded topic in our country, um, and I think I, I'm actually able to see that because I also come from a different culture, um, but there isn't one family that I see that does not mention eating healthy as a, an important 
part of their lives. Um, often those parents will tell me that their kids are eating unhealthy foods. Um, so it can get really out of hand with the way that parents are going to be feeding these difficult to feed children. Um, and there is a real dichotomy into what they are going to serve and what how they view that food, usually as junk, and how they would like to eat. I try to take a view that if you serve a food in your family, it's a good enough food. But I also take the view, which is more European, of serving the food from the middle of the table and taking a bit of a step back as to what the kids are choosing from what food you are serving. So it doesn't mean you cook two meals each night. You actually cook one meal, but you'll make sure there's enough choice for the kids to pick something that they can eat with confidence, uh, although they do get exposure to the family food during so, that meal. So I just wanted to clarify what you're saying. So this is not for parents necessarily to make the plate up for the child and put the plate in front of the child and say, "This here's your dinner, this is what you should be eating. You're suggesting that the parents should have the food um, on different plates or whatever serving suggestion they have in the middle of the table and the child um, can make their own decision as to what food that they want to eat and how much. Uh, obviously, the parent is going to, you know, suggest that there should be a suitable amount of food on the plate, but it's for the child to make the decision and, and be empowered to, 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 to get the food themselves. Is that what you're saying? Yes. So I think one big assumption that parents make is that if they put the food on the plate of their child, their child eventually will eat it, which is couldn't be further from the truth. And the fact is um, a lot of the time the children will not eat the food that's on their plate. They will push it away. They will feel um, almost threatened by it, depending on the children. So having a family style of serving where you serve from the middle of the table and indeed you have the kids coming to the food rather than the food coming to them, that's really empowering. And I know that's a buzzword, and, but really that's what we are after. We are after kids who actually are willing to explore the food in their own terms, in their own time, um, but they are getting the exposure from the parents. So, for example, recently I've worked with a family um, once they stopped serving their child like this, he actually ate more food. And he ate food that they thought um, that they he would never like, and so they never offered it to him. So it was really an interesting. It was almost like a bit of a psychology in reverse, you know, letting their child come to the food really um, yield success. And, I, I mean, I've had the um, the pleasure of actually eating and having you cook for me. Um, Previously, before, and I, I do recall that you had um, presented the food in exactly that way, um, and I was able to uh, make that decision as to what I wanted to have on my plate. Is is this um, a more European way of serving food? Do you believe more so than, uh, I guess, I mean, we're a multicultural country here in Australia, of course, but um, in general terms, would you say this is a more European way of serving meals? family meals um yeah absolutely so what we know from what listening to sociologists and anthropologists is that the english plate starts really indeed in the uk and it really comes from a dietetic stake so we look at the plate and we say okay well we need this particular food on the plate to make sure it's healthy and we're getting enough nutrients so that plate the english plate based on dietetics then is taken 
to the US and to Australia as a way to feed ourselves. Um, and it, there's a good logic behind it, which is to have several food groups. But you can do that from the middle of the table successfully. And so if you grew up in France, that's the way the food would be presented. There would be several courses. Um, and as a child, you may not uh, take any starters um, with the fresh um, vegetables, often raw vegetables, and you may actually go for the second dish, um, which may be meat and carbs, which most kids often will be comfortable with. Mm. Um, but then with time, you would learn to eat um, vegetables in your own time, on your own terms, and that would help you really to um, to tackle those vegetables. So your parents wouldn't necessarily know or have noticed that you do not eat vegetables for quite some time. Mm, very interesting. Now, talk, talking about nutrients in general, um, what nutrient do you find fussy eaters uh, usually lack? I'd love to know. So, you know, with the children and the families that I work with, I always check for iron. Um, iron is the one nutrient that is often, if not always, lacking because the family the kids that I um, see the families that I talk to have children who will struggle with um, meat um, with fish um, they will eat limited amount of vegetables um, they, they will lack entire food groups often so they will um, be at risk of having some nutritional deficiency but the one that is very common is iron and, and that really impacts um, well if they could get their let's say they could get their iron from um from um, fortified cereals in the morning if they don't eat any fruit they're not going to absorb the iron well so that would be the case for um, vegetarian sources of iron um, so they are going to be lacking iron and that's going to impact we know that for instance some of the children that i see who have adhd they that will impact their um their behavior and so instead of being this really fatigued child because they have adhd they they still display behaviors that are really you know um full of energy it seems um but it will affect their behavior um they will their, their behavior for starters will be worse due to lack of iron so it's important to check iron i always say you know take the matter to your GP. If you are lacking all these food groups, then talk to your GP, um, make sure you get a blood test um, and have that record with your GP throughout the years as you check regularly. Mm. Interesting you were saying that um, the behaviours of uh, fussy eaters can be affected. It makes sense if a large percentage of them are lacking in iron, which, you know, we know as women when we're lacking with iron, how we feel and we feel tired and exhausted. It's a, it's a very less. common deficiency. Sorry, and I was going to say, and, of course, a lack of iron also affects appetite. So it's a bit of a catch-22. You're saying so if you're lacking in iron, you have uh, a reduced appetite, do you? Yes. How does that work? I, guess I find that fascinating. But anyway, well, it's, it's probably it's just, linked it to does. your the lethargy that you may get yes yeah for sure of course because we've got less oxygen being circulated circulated around our bloodstream so very interesting the next thing you mentioned in the article also there's something called the cycle of picky eating so um there's a little chart that you have in the article could, could you maybe just explain what that cycle of picking picking picky eating at home actually is <laughs> Yeah, I wanted to talk about this um, circle because I wanted parents to actually 
think about how they are affected in their daily routine. So this is research. Um, it's called the cycle of picketing. It's called it's by Ranveer and Paul and Covera. I think it's 2010 or something like that. So um, basically, parents are in this situation where their child doesn't eat, so they start to worry about it. Then, of course, he, the child continues not to eat. And now parents start to think, okay, well, they're going to do whatever it takes to make the child eat. Yet the child does not eat. So parents get angry, frustrated, because they don't know how to make him or her eat. Still, the child doesn't eat. So now parents start to define their child by his or her eating habits. And it is. My child doesn't eat, so we're back in that circle. It's a real catch-22 of fussy eating. But is it that they, because they believe their child won't eat, that's creating more of that scenario and actually the child may be starting to believe it even more? Is that what it is? I don't know. Um, well, they adapt their behaviour to the child not eating, but the adaptations that they, um, that they, st- that they apply, if you like, creates does not improve the situation so the situation remains the same but it can be amplified by the parents reactions so then how do you break that cycle i would think that educating yourself would be key in some regard but could you maybe just explain how you break it well so depending on how bad it is you may need to seek help for sure you may need to seek support if you find that your anger your frustration your worry or your anxiety takes the better of you. Um, And so um, you basically need to be able to assess the situation rather than let it run for years because it's always going to compound. So this child who was fussy at one will still be fussy at nine or ten years of age, but now it's compounded. It's become debilitating for everyone and you're still really stressed out and still anxious about it. That's not going away by itself. Mm-hmm. So so then if, if, if a parent identifies that they are in this cycle of fussy eating, how, how do you suggest that they should break it and what's the first thing that they should do then? So they can get help, obviously. Um, there are people out there who can help them. Um, they can, as I said earlier on, perhaps look into doing relaxation using the app. The apps are recommending the article. Uh, as a way to look after their, themselves, their mental health, get support. I always ask parents, you know, do, who else supports you? A lot of parents are on their own feeding their kids, I have to say. But do you have grandparents who can help? Do you have, does your child go to a childcare center, um, which would alleviate some of the pressure on you? Okay. Um, the other thing I wanted to, to discuss also, it's common that parents of fussy eaters also avoid just going out in general um, and in most cases just to restaurants. Um, so I'd love to know from your perspective, like what do you suggest um, or what tips and advice could you suggest to help families embrace the just the experience of eating out? Because it's obviously something that families like to do and parents don't want to have to miss out just because their children are fussy eaters. So what's your recommendation here? Yeah, so parents always tell me that they um, – don't go out to restaurants anymore. There's no point. There's no, not much fun of having a child who is going to really misbehave or um, throw a tantrum at the restaurant. And so I can understand that. And that's really debilitating for them. You know, they, they can't enjoy those moments anymore. 
But I think there's a real opportunity to educate children to going out to restaurants if you actually can afford it. So um, the point is not to view the food as the thing that needs to be ingested. Um, that's one too many steps ahead. What uh, steps you have to think of first and foremost is can you take your child and um, tell them your expectations as to how you behave in the restaurant? Maybe it is about being able to sit down for a little while. Maybe it is about behaving in the restaurant so you're not um, loud or, or you, you're not um, misbehaving in the restaurant. Um, and so by having some work done on the structure of how it works when you go to a restaurant, by having parents who prepare this a bit carefully, uh, think of ordering perhaps a little bit in advance, take the kids out to the park for a run while the food is arriving so that it can be timed successfully. Um, there's a lot to do in restaurants that can help educate kids. There are lots of rents that, restaurants that are places that are quite playful in nature. So if you go to a Japanese restaurant um, where um, they do teppanyaki, or if you go to a um, Korean restaurant where you have your own grill, it can be, con um, it can be pleasant, it can be convivial, and your kids may learn to have just a good time. They may not eat a lot, um, but the learning is so important. And so even for kids who are on the spectrum, I recommend a lot of time parents uh, work on getting to restaurants eventually because these kids will grow up. They'll have to be able to go to, to, go out to restaurant, um, hopefully in their lives. So they are, um, it, it, restaurants are a great opportunity, opportunity for educating kids. So you're saying it's equally about the experience of being in the, the restaurant, in the restaurant setting, uh, in the environment, um, as it is about obviously the food um, and having them have an enjoyable experience that they I guess the neural path, pathways in their brain are going to connect eating out with a positive experience as opposed to uh, all the negative things that can happen with parents being frustrated quite naturally if they're, if they're ordering and paying for food and the children aren't eating, eating the food. Uh, it, it's about creating a, a positive experience that the child is going to sort of um, create in their brain that's going to stay, would you say? I don't know. Yeah. And look, I still recommend ordering from the menu. So being, taking charge of the food that you order at the restaurant, making sure that you put it in the middle of the table so that everyone can help themselves. So I like this idea of like an Indian meal, you know, you, you would put everything on the middle of the table. Everyone is helping themselves and the kids can dig in and find something they like within that choice rather than argue about the kids because they want to order chips. And they always want to order cheap at the restaurant. So you need to prepare them nuggets. that you're going to order the food. Well, if your kid is stuck on nuggets, that may be where you are. But um, if you can um, order the food, place it in the middle of the table, give the kids a chance to explore, that may, I think, will be very successful with practice. But the objective is to be able to provide positive experiences. So for future reference, they're not going to kick up a fuss that they're going to be eating out in a restaurant. They'll they will connect that in their brain and say, my experience in my, you know, in, in my memory is the fact that it was positive, so I'm fine with going. Is that what that's what we're aiming for? Is that right? That's right. That's right. Absolutely. It should be a positive experience. Yep. I mean, how do you remember going out to a restaurant when you were a kid? If it is positive, then it's always going to be something that you remember fondly. 
Yes. Okay, cool. And moving on to the next topic, I guess, you know, we know um, that friends and family um, always mean well, and and I guess their comments can always, you know, come from a loving place. Um, however, it may not always be received that way. Um, and it's quite common that their comments um, in a lot of circumstances can hurt and may even make you feel inadequate or possibly angry with uh, how, however the information is being delivered. Um, from your perspective, are there any, I guess, practical tips to help alleviate symptoms um, of, I guess, parents and family and friends making comments about um, your child that is a fussy eater? Yeah, so I think these comments, um, they may come from a place of um, friendship or love, but they also can come from a place of judgment. Um, and so they're not helpful to these families. Um, they are reminding them that the situation is difficult. Um, so yes, I would always recommend trying nipping these comments in the bud. Um, so you need to be able to um, to name what it is. You know, you need to be able to say, "Well, look, um, I think this is um, not a very helpful comment." Um, you can say things like, "You know, Charlie has been struggling with eating, um, but we are addressing this with professional help." Or you could say things like, uh, "Charlie's." learning about a great variety of food in his own time. But you can also say, you know, I hear your concern, but or how, however I'm receiving um, professional help on this matter. So I would appreciate if you don't make comments. It, it's hurtful. It's unhelpful. You have to be able to, to name it and to reframe it. You know, in, in a lot of instances where there is confrontation with family and friends, we don't say anything because we, we want to diffuse the situation and because we don't want to be confrontational. So what I'm hearing, and tell me if this is right, it is very important to address it um, with with whatever the case scenario is that you're experiencing at that time. Like you said, if you are seeking help or if you're about to seek help, to address it uh, in, in, in a loving way equally back. Is that what you're saying? Well, I'm not saying you have to be confrontational. I'm saying that if you find that this is really affecting you, you can say that this is hurtful to you and it's not helping your child either. Um, but then you could also, at the end of this conversation, which hopefully you can have, you could say something along the lines, but you know what, it'd be so helpful if you could take Charlie to the garden uh, when you grow vegetables it could. It would be so useful. Useful if you cook with Charlie. Um, so there are other ways that I guess friends and family can be helpful. Yeah. Um, to to when they really are coming from that loving place. Yeah. And um and, and they can really support you there. And as you've suggested many times, like education is key. And like you mentioned at the start of the chat, and and you have in so many of our other chats, and and of course in all of your articles, that it's not to worry so much that from a nutritional perspective, uh, if you think that your child is not getting enough nutrients, the body is very. Um, it's incredible how the body will find protein and find all of the other nutrients that it needs from from whatever the child is eating. So would would you say another thing is is, is to be able to be equipped with information to be able to share back to friends and family to be able to put their mind at ease as well, would you say, or not? I don't know. Well, I'm not sure that you can convince friends and family with data. We all know that we have to be able to talk to each other from a place of empathy and love. So maybe that's what it takes to just say how you're feeling. Yeah. Um, yes. And 
as I say, to, to be able to name it because it's if it's not helpful to you or your child, then it's a it's a lose lose situation. You just want to be finding some sort of consensus with the family um, and be supported. So it, there's no harm in telling the family how they can support you best. Yeah. I tell you what, parents of fussy eaters really do have a, a tough time. Like you know, just in this conversation alone, we've addressed the the anxiety and the stress that they that they go through uh, on a daily basis. Um, and of course, you know, scenarios where it's difficult to sort of be out. I guess in social settings and restaurants and. Uh, possibly even being at friends and family house for dinner and those types of things as well, let alone having friends and family potentially share their, their loving thoughts and concerns. Um, our heart really, my heart really goes out to to all, all parents with fussy eaters because no doubt it is a, a very stressful experience. Mm. Um, so, yeah. Um, and what I'm hearing you say also, it's really important for parents just to listen to themselves, of course, and if they continue to struggle to speak to a professional who can help, uh, especially with addressing, as you mentioned, you know, the stress and anxiety levels, because I guess if you're not strong, how can you expect your family to be? So the most important thing is making sure that um, as a parent that you're strong and that you're in, in a strong mental place, um, being able to, to manage scenarios because information and experts like you are out there to be able to help. Um, well, I guess then if you were to summarise, I guess, your key messages um, from our chat today, uh, what would they be? It would be that, of course, there is help out there. You can um, educate yourself to start with and then you can seek help um, if you find that you are not um, getting anywhere. Um, so the help, the help is available for you and for your children. Yeah. And we'll have a link uh, through to your article. The title, again, of course, is My Fussy Eater Reduces Me to Tears. And there's lots of helpful um, information in that article, uh, of course, um, and then lots of links through to your website, which the, the sort of follows on and delves sort of deeper into each one of those subject matter uh, topics that you've addressed. But um, we'll have the link through to the article and how people can find you um, in the show notes. But as always, it's just wonderful to catch up and, um, well, hopefully look forward to chatting with you again in the too distant future but in the meantime stay safe and we'll chat soon thanks again thanks bye bye i'm rachel monteleone and you've been listening to kiddypedia the podcast you can have full access to kiddypedia by visiting our website at kiddypedia.com.au or following us on facebook instagram twitter and youtube We're all here to help make the world a better place for our children and for generations to come. You can start today by helping us reach other parents by going to Apple Podcast, subscribe, rate and review this podcast. Thank you for listening and be sure to give my love to the kids. Kids.